Welcome to another episode of Covered with the Utah FLP. I'm Ian Adams, your high drag, low speed host. Uh, I'm here joined today by two of my good friends, Brad Landis from Idaho FOP and Danny King. Today we're going to be talking about the FOP. Uh, I think it's important that we understand sort of the organization. Many of us have been FOP members for a long time. Maybe when you joined, it was, you know, your, your FTO said, hey, maybe you, you ought to sign up for this. Maybe it was expected. Maybe a couple years in, you, you realized sort of the, the legal threats to your career and you needed some protection. But the FOP didn't spring up from nothing. Here in Utah, um, it was the early 80s. It was a group of 10 officers out in the West Valley Granger area who got together and decided that they wanted to form the first Utah uh, FOP. I think it was 1983. But the, the national FOP had a much earlier beginning, right, Brad? Where did, yeah, they did. Where uh, did 1915 in Pittsburgh. Okay. Why don't you tell that story? I don't know it well. Well, two officers came up with the idea. They just, uh, back then, you know, police officers worked 12-hour days. They worked 365 days a year. They had no benefits or anything, and they just wanted to be a voice uh, and, and help uh, life for police officers get better. Obviously, it's grown from there, from two, two, two guys with an idea, uh, to forming uh, a lodge in Pittsburgh, to forming uh, many lodges in Pennsylvania, and then uh, the, the uh, movement spread west, and here we are today uh, with almost every state with a state lodge, uh, 365,000 members, and it's growing, growing all the time, and for good reasons. Yeah, and, and we, you know, the National FOP is not shy about saying we are the oldest and most powerful and largest police labor organization in the world. And that's true. You know, I know a little bit more about sort of the, the pre-FOP period in modern policing and and what gave rise to the need for it. And it's important, frankly, to understand sort of like modern policing in Boston, for example, was was born on the backs of Irish immigrants who were not welcome to the country. Right At the time, the Irish and the Polish and the Germans we're not. We're, we're seen as threats, immigrant threats, and policing turned out to be one of the areas where the Irish, especially, could form civic engage, civically engaged organizations. Um, policing, uh, for example, and um, they did quite well at it. In fact, I think the I have a post coming up um, in in for St. Patrick's Day where I kind of looked into it, and the the first Irish officer, believe it or not, I think it was like 1881, 1884, somewhere around there. He got fired for political reasons. By all, by all accounts, a great officer did two or three years um, with Boston PD before he was fired when the Whigs uh, regained uh, political power and the Whigs were, were sort of anti-immigrant uh, groups. So it was within that same time period, you know, 30 years later, that the FOP is first joined by these, these two officers. And one part of that that not everybody knows is that um, the, the city didn't fight those officers. It was actually the mayor um, of, of Pittsburgh at the time also saw the need for this and agreed to it. So the very beginnings of the of a FOP are born in this idea like there's incredible demand on our officers. We're asking so much of them. And the city administrators who have to sort of oversee that operation, understanding like their city is going to be a better place with the FOP with supporting their officers. The city can only be safer if we can make the officers safer. In 2015, I learned some of that when we, you and I and, and a lot of others were out in Pittsburgh for the national conference. It was the 100th anniversary. One of my favorite little challenge coins I got is still the Pittsburgh Lodge One. It has a little cradle on the back of it um, as if the, 
the uh, FOP was the baby born in, in Pittsburgh. So what else can you tell us about the FOP? How do we grow past that? How do we get to where we are today? What makes it the world's uh, largest police labor organization? Well, well being a voice, obviously, uh, if you're one person and uh, you're concerned and you, you express those concerns to your municipalities, uh, yeah, you're not really looked on as like, well, you're just one person saying that. But if you're a group of people and, and you're in a large group and you have concerns and you, you you bring those concerns, well, people start to listen. And once they start to listen, they start to understand. If they're more likely to understand, changes do happen. Past President Dick Boyd, a uh, personal friend of Ronald Reagan, he always stated is uh, if you ask for something fair and you can sit at the table and ask the people that can make a difference in your life, Eventually, somebody fair is going to be on the other side of that table, right. and the changes will happen. But you got to be fair, right? So, how did you come into the FOP? Well, in uh, 1992, I first joined the FOP on my department. I was a young officer back then, and uh, it started. We formed a state lodge, uh, and then, uh, but it for for some reason the uh, guys didn't come together, and that actually uh, fell apart. So, mm -hmm. my lodge was lodge number two at that time. Well, in 1996, uh, a great officer from uh, down here in this uh, area, uh, Jim Crowley, came up and uh, he swore us back in. And uh, we became Lodge Number Six. And uh, so we started in 1996 again, and more lodges started in Idaho. Uh, we, uh, we got involved uh, talking to our mayor, our city council. Um, we weren't looked up, we were looked upon as kind of like a they thought we were like a union pushing things in. We weren't pushing anything. We were just we had concerns. Uh, we wanted to make life better for police officers. If you make life better for police officers, well, your community will benefit from that. Right. You want police officers to be happy going to work. You don't want them to be disgruntled. It looked down upon those kind of things, and and all they want to do is 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 come to work just like anybody else, put their time into work and go home at the end of their shift. So a after uh, we, we formed our lodge, you know, we, we were pretty active. And then uh, as I became the second president of my lodge, and then uh, I was at a board of directors meeting in, in Boise, Idaho, where they were looking for a secretary. And I wasn't looking to be the secretary because I knew it was a lot of work, the state that's, secretary. That's how every FOP secretary gets to be secretary. It's, it was a lot of work. And, yeah. uh, anyways, uh, but they asked me, would you please jump up and be the secretary? And I didn't want to say no, so I, I jumped in. I, I was secretary for four years. And then uh, in 2004, I ran for national trustee, and I became a state lodge national trustee, where I now sit on the national board of directors. Right. And uh, back then, uh, we had about 400 members, and now Idaho has a little over 2,200 members. Wow. Yeah, you guys have seen incredible growth at the same time we have, and I think for a lot of the same reasons, which is probably why our two state lodges are so uh, close to one another. Um, and of course, through Jim Crowley's work, um, Jim, you know, I think every relationship I have with somebody nationally was formed through Jim. And so uh, it's nice to be able to pay a little honor to his memory. Yeah, he was uh, a, he's a great friend. And, uh, you know, on the, sitting on the national board uh, the last few years, uh, Jim and I sat together. Yeah. And he's, uh, he's a, he was a great mentor. Uh, he, was, he has a lot of wisdom and knowledge of police work. And, uh, yeah. Well, it's a good time to mention, too, we just formed our uh, 51st local lodge in the state of Utah. Uh, so Lodge I, yeah, Lodge 51, and we named it after Jim Crowley. It's the Jim Crowley Retired Officers uh, Lodge. And so um, that's going to be the home for officers who have left policing or, or retired out of policing. And, uh, you know, the, also the home where we're now offering some legal coverage for those officers, first of its kind. Um, pretty exciting about that. But one thing I wanted to bring back, because I think it's 
Um, in, in the last episode, last time you guys were here, we talked a lot about how people's views of policing are formed by where they police and how they were taught to police. Very similarly, people's views on FOP are formed by uh, where they have been a member, right, and what they've seen around them. But there's big differences. I mean, in a, in a nation with uh, nearly a million law enforcement officers, in an organization that represents about 365,000 of those officers, you're going to see a lot of variation in how things are done. So um, one of the big differences is, is, of course, this word union. The Utah State Fraternal Order of Police is not a union. Idaho State FOP is not a union, right? Correct. Um, and, and the big difference there would be having a contract. So maybe we can explain that. This is a good place for Danny to jump in. Because here in, here in Utah, we have exactly one agency with something approaching a contract. But you, Danny, you've worked under contract in a contract uh, agency your whole life, right? Like, yep. So what does that mean for people? My agency has a uh, contract, and it, it outlines how officers will be promoted, how we'll go to lunch, how the city will treat us, what they will do, won't do, what our responsibilities are. It, it's our rights, and it's in writing. And when there's some type of labor dispute, you know, hey, you call me up and say, I need you to come to work now. It's in our contract what I will be paid call me and tell me that you need me to show up in 49 hours. Okay, well, you've given me the notice. It's I just get paid regular Whatever time. You pay. Yeah. Right? But you call me at 47 hours, and I have to report it, you know, less than 47 hours, then you'll pay me double the rate. You know what I mean? Right. And there's everything's written in contract. There are no surprises. It protects the city, and it protects the individual officer. And it's always been that way for me. Right. And does Idaho have something similar, Brad? Oh, Idaho's a right-to-work state. has been for a long time. Uh, we do have five police departments that do have uh, collect. It's called collective bargaining, uh, where they sign a contract with their municipalities. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, I think most people are jealous when when they see that. It puts a lot of things in perspective. I think these contracts they not only help the officers, but they protect the city. If they protect the city, they protect the citizens. And, and, and I think it. Uh, most police officers would say today, uh, you know, they would. I've never heard a police officer say, "Oh, I would hate to have collective bargaining." I, I've never. <laughs> heard that. Well, they it might. Is, they might. Uh, that's actually why I want to have the conversation, though, because what I see is a reflexive. You know, policing is is comprised of predominantly politically conservative individuals, and in today's day and age, at least, this wasn't always true even 15 years ago. But the um, sort of anti-union mentality takes over, right? And I like to put it in perspective, like, no, no, no. Like most officers, about a, somewhere between a third and a half of officers in this country operate under a contract. That's what that is. It's protecting, it's telling, you know, that like I like to um, point out, it's like, you know, when you promoted for sergeant and you, you placed first on that list and then didn't get promoted, um, that's the sort of thing that's addressed in a contract, right? It strips out some of this chief power to just, you know, lord over his or her uh, kingdom and make decisions, you know, consequence free. It puts a lot of that in perspective. Now, all that said, I've never worked under a contract. Utah is also a right-to-work state. Now, you can have contracts in a right-to-work state, but just as shorthand, Utah does not have contracts because it's a right-to-work state. It makes it harder, you know. It, it does. It really does. And I, I know uh, when they use the union word, it's, it almost sounds like a bad term. I like to use the word collective bargaining. Police unions themselves are not traditional unions. A traditional union is, oh, you won't sign the contract, you won't give us a pay raise, you won't keep our medical benefits sound, we're not coming to work tomorrow. Right, we strike. That's, that, you know, we're non-traditional. Police don't do that. Right. It, with collective, collective bargaining with police departments, we'll ask, somebody will listen, 
that person listening has to make a decision. We hope we can come to a compromise or maybe they see it our way and they'll, they'll sign the contract. If they don't sign the contract, well, we gotta, we're stuck with that. Right. But there's limits. Um, uh, so in, in our state, one of the limits is, you know, we've formed the FOP as a fraternal organization, which means we, we work primarily on legal defense, actually, for officers. I mean, that is the, the hard central core of the Utah FOP. But our members are, I, I'm on the phone a lot with members who are, in essence, having labor problems. Right? They're having some issue with discipline uh, being uh, used unfairly or sort of hour demands and, uh, you know, I got moved to a shift without, you know, without any consideration for my family needs and all that kind of stuff sort of falls under this umbrella of labor. And we are not, a, we don't do, I'm using air quotes in my, and nobody can see it, but we don't do quote unquote labor here in, in Utah because we don't we're not formed that way now if I go down to Danny's agency or an agency under contract and their FOP guys they they might have a, what, what we call a carve-out position right so a contract can say hey um, recognizing the need for our officers to be represented well by their labor organization we the city or the county or the state will hold a position open and pay for it for an officer to be there and be the the, the labor organ uh, organ organization's leadership and that is something that is just completely alien here that that doesn't exist and people don't understand that it's something that does exist in other or and in fact our um it's the reason that like at the national level the leadership that emerges at the national level usually is in contract areas because those are guys that are able to gain experience and make plans that they can count on uh, being supported while they do labor organizing here in utah it's typically unpaid work. It's, vol- it's, it's at the local level, almost all volunteers. Even at the state level, we're not paid a lot of money. And, and we are still expected to represent the interests of our members. And we do so. We've been very successful in that. But again, it, it, it's in Utah going to be about legal defense. It's about developing. Um, here in Utah, we've, you know, for almost a decade now, run our own legal defense. That means we have a contract with our own legal firm where seven full-time attorneys sit there and think about how to defend officers and not just think about it, but actually defend officers. That means at the disciplinary level, at the civil level, at the criminal level, working with these agencies. So um, our role in Utah is not the same as you're going to find in Nevada. And a lot of times that's useful for members to understand, especially as you start rising in the organization. Maybe you want to go to some training in Nashville. You're going to be exposed to some people with very different ideas about what it means to be an FOP member. Danny, in your organization, was this just automatic? You just became a member of the uh, under the contract? Uh, so you have the option of joining or not joining. Mm-hmm. Um, and most everyone does join. And I'll tell you, I don't I get a lot of benefits. I'm paid very well. I work for a great municipality. I have a full-time uh, union president or association president. Yeah. And and I don't know what he does. I don't know what he has to deal with on a daily basis. Right. Um, but I know that I don't have to deal with it. You right. know what I mean? Uh, if something's going to happen, if someone's going to be moved out of a position, it's in contract. If someone's moved out of position in violation of that contract, it's in contract. You right. know what I mean? Right. So there's a system, there's a process. Uh, everything is set up for me. All the things that I don't want to deal with or can't know or don't know, mm-hmm. they do know. 
you know what I mean? And if you work for a good city and it helps them as well, is that they can point to the contract and go, well, hang on a second, the contract says this, you know what I mean? And there's a system for it. So having someone full-time to worry about all the things that you can't worry about right. and you don't even know is a thing, uh, it's a great thing, man. Yeah. It's a great thing. And most of our members, I think, 99% of FOP members just want that exact same thing. They want to know that this important part of their life, which is legal defense here, is taken care of. Like, yep. you know, if they get in a shooting, there's going to be a lawyer for them. If they, you know, if there's some twists and turns in that case, we're going to have a whole law firm thinking about how to protect them, plus the leadership of the board. And then we have, and what I sort of consider their, their, their these responsibilities around that, which includes political messaging, social messaging, legislative issues, all that kind of stuff. But those really spring from legal defense. Whereas in a contract area, all this is laid out. It's just laid out. This is how much you're going to get. This is how many officers we're going to hire. This is the, before we move you to a graveyard shift Tuesday through, you know, Saturday, (laughs) this is how we make those decisions. Um, And in, in my career, I've seen absolutely abhorrent decision making about those sort of things based only on personal like, right? And that's where it really falls down. That's the big disadvantage to working without a contract is you are are working at the whim of a chief executive. And if you're on the wrong side of that chief executive, which FOP members or FOP leadership tends to get there, if only because we're the ones that are, are often charged with telling a chief no, and here's a lawyer to back that up, right. it makes you quickly unpopular. So the, I do appreciate for contract states why that is is able to grow the organization more uh, into a stronger one. So. Yeah, being a, being a national trustee, I, I get to travel a lot uh, with the FOP. Uh, um, yeah, I'm on a committee. I'm actually the chairman of the uh, Western States uh, Recruitment Committee, where I'm responsible for every state west of the Mississippi. Uh, I have Texas, Alaska, and Hawaii in that group. Now, a lot of those states already have state lodges, so if somebody wants to join the FOP and needs information, there's a state lodge, I'll just send it to the state lodge and say, hey, you got this police officer in your area, he needs information, here Mm -hmm. you go. If there's not a state lodge there, and uh, I've helped form two of them uh, in Iowa and Oregon, uh, they finally became state lodges. Well, it's still one of the 48 states that I'm responsible for, it's Montana. So uh, I've been able to swear in four lodges in Montana. I went to uh, Anchorage, Alaska uh, a couple years ago. Uh, with Jim Adams, my vice president, state vice president, and we went up there and swore the, uh, some Anchorage. Jim, Jim's been a guest on a couple yeah, episodes. Yeah. yeah, we swore in an Anchorage lodge there, but I, I sell the uh, I, I don't sell the labor part of the FOP. It's there. If people have questions on it, I uh, I, I, I refer them to the uh, correct people to, to speak to, and 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 we're there to assist them. I I typically sell the benevolent part. People always ask me, well, why should I join the FOP? Well, you're a police officer, and 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 to me, it's like. You need, I said, everybody needs to be part of something. He said, don't do it alone, do it as a group. We're the largest group out there. We're there for police officers. It's cough for cops, protecting cops. And uh, uh, there's so many benefits being in the FOP. And of course, your legal plan here in, in Utah is maybe the best one out there, one of the best ones out there. I tell you, it's phenomenal. You know, the national office it offers one too for the small lodges of the small states that are starting out. It's a legal defense plan that helps police officers. And there's a term out there, and uh, uh, it's a term that I actually came up with in the uh, National FOP uh, uh, follow through with it. It's a term, it's better to have it and not need it. But if you need it and don't have it, well, you, well, you could be in a lot of trouble. There's a lot of, there's a lot of war stories about police officers getting themselves in binds. And, and people say, well, that will never happen to me. 
I'll never get hit by lightning. Well, let me tell you, people do get hit by lightning. It'll well, happen. It's, it's not even, somewhere. It's not even lightning anymore. And we've. Well, we've, and you're right. It, it, yeah. It's more common today. And I'm, I'm talking about maybe the five hundred thousand, the one million dollar claims that are out there, and they do happen. And I can share a quick story with you. Uh, yeah, please. At a Louisville, Kentucky, uh, I'm at the Louisville con- uh, conference years ago, and and uh, a Louisville officer gets up on the podium. Well, he went through a very serious incident. Uh, police officer work in the street, violent area of Louisville. Uh, he's been involved in shootings before, and he gets a call, a man with a gun. This is night shift. It's, a, it's, in, a, it's in an alleyway uh, in a very rough area. Well, of course, he, him and his partner, they're in the, in the alley. They enter the alley. They're cautious. They got their firearms out. It's dark. Well, a shadow comes out, and a laser hits this officer right in the chest. What do you do? Well, I think everybody says you got to shoot. Well, well, he did. Well, happened to be a 13-year-old kid playing laser tag. That's a very sad case. This officer didn't want to kill a kid. He didn't know what was going on. He did what he was trained to do. Well, he was he was cleared. He was cleared by his uh, department, uh, the multiple just uh, just uh, uh, task force that came came in and investigated it. But what ended up happening to this officer is the uh, feds came in and looked at it, and they pulled what they call a 1983, a civil rights violation on him, and they were going to put him in federal prison. Well, he was an FOP member, he had legal defense, and $600,000 later, uh, he was acquitted and got his job back. But he got up on that podium and he stated, I don't have $600,000. I would have lost my house, I would have lost my family. Instead of talking to you today, I, I'd, I'd be in federal prison. I couldn't fight a case like that. Those are rare cases, but they do happen. They well, happen all the time, in fact. Yeah. There's a there's a case out of Nashville right now mm-hmm. uh, with an officer who is an FOP member, and I can tell you for a fact that he has an all-star cast, uh, a fellow that I worked with by the name of uh, Jamie Borden, who uh, yeah. is is one of the best in, in terms of officer-involved shootings and use of force. I know for a fact that via the FOP, uh, Jamie Borden is uh, consulting or... I think I believe he's consulting on that case. Right. So, and I can't tell you how much these things cost. Well, it's I ridiculous. can't. <laughs> and and I can tell you that. Well, I can tell you too. But you know, to both of these points, you know, as as executive director, I had to make a a choice at a certain point. We we did as the as the board had to have these discussions because previous to about a year and a half or two years ago, it was pretty common for there to be officers involved in shootings in areas maybe that, that the FOP hadn't reached strongly with a message. And so there maybe a guy wasn't a member, but we'd, we'd, we'd throw him a lawyer to make sure guiding through that process. But I'll tell you what, we had to stop. And, that, and that's because once we provided that attorney, there's a legal obligation to continue doing that for that lawyer. Wow. And we got into a, a, a situation where we could it could have gone really bad. Uh, it could have cost us a million dollars to defend um, and and for the good of the order, for the good of our members, we can't just provide free legal services. This isn't a pro bono right. l- law firm, and so we had to make the tough choice that, like, you know, at a certain point when our membership grew to a certain level, we had to say, look, you know about the FOP. I know you know about it because I've paid the money to make sure you've known about it. I've brought in the advertising, I've brought in the speakers and the training and the flyers and all that kind of stuff. And if you're still making the decision that yo, this won't happen to me. Then you're making it you know, like I'm gonna. I respect you enough to allow you to make that decision and not come in later and try to fix it for you. But I've seen 
three officers in the last decade here in this county alone charged following an OIS. Um, and I've, uh, I'm aware of most OIS cases in, in, in Utah where they pr- could go to charges. Um, and it happens a lot more than people are aware. Um, it, it's, it's, that process can be very opaque and dark and people don't see behind it, but it's happening and it's happening on every case. Utah sees, you know, 25, 30 shootings a year as a state. The vast majority of those are concentrated around these uh, Salt Lake County, Weber, Davis, and Utah County. Um, and that, as the population grows, as I'm sure Idaho has seen too, as Boise especially, as the population continues to grow and as California's exodus continues into <laughs> Nevada, our three states that we represent here, um, it's not going anywhere. I don't think I don't think Nevada is going to um, turn around in the next couple of years and just not have shootings anymore, not have the need to have both FOP and legal protection and uh, analysts who who are able to look at those things. So um, I I think it's great that we have kind of the perspective of the three states here. Well, yeah, and you know, and the, there's many benefits being in the FOP, not just legal defense. Because even when you explain it the way we've explained it today, um, some people say, "Well, yeah, am I really going to need this? I mean, it's going to cost me thirty dollars a month. Do I really want to spend that much money?" I mean, you hear these kind of things, and oh, yeah. so you so there's more benefits out there. You know, there's actually a free college tuition the FOP offers for its uh, members and and, uh, and and family members. So it's not just immediate family, meaning. Uh, there's an online school it's through, through a college out of uh, uh, Ohio and uh, up to an associate's degree it won't cost you anything it won't cost your family members anything it's 100% free even the uh, online books are free anything past an associate's degree uh, you want to get if you go full-time it can never cost you more than $4,500 a year that's a huge benefit that officers and wives of officers have taken advantage of so far that plan itself has saved over ten million dollars in tuition fees um, the benevolent part of the FOP. I mean, when, when organizations like, especially the Utah uh, benevolent part, I tell you, when I when I hear the stories that come down to Utah, when I hear stories around the country of what 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 we have done for each other, I'm th- I'm telling you right now, if police don't look out for each other, who does? Well, I'm telling you, it's nobody. Right. We we have to make the we we, we get the community involved. They form foundations, and, and it's there to help police officers in need. I can give you a couple of uh, quick stories. Uh, one in Idaho. Uh, Mike Kralichek, uh he was shot in the line of duty December 28, 2004. Hit with a 357 right in the face and, hit in the, and the 357 went right into his neck and it severed three of his uh, uh, C2, C3, C4 on the back of his spine. And he, he was supposed to die. I'm hunting in the middle of Idaho. It's, uh, now it's December 30th. I knew nothing about this shooting because I've been gone a week. I'm up in the mountains and I, and I don't know how it even happened. My cell phone's ringing. Didn't know I had my cell phone on. Didn't know I had cell phone coverage where I was at. And I see the name Jack Symington. Well, Jack Symington was a national trustee of uh, Washington. And I answered the phone. Of course, I'm on this horse named Pete. (laughs) I'm in deep snow up to my waist. I'm walking Pete through the snow. And his elk herd about three, four hundred yards in front of me. I'm trying to sneak up on him. My phone's ringing. Well, the elk herd also (laughs) heard. I'm like, did I thank Jack for for doing that? But I I tell you, it's, it's the most inspirational call I've ever received and and Jack's words exactly we're gonna take care of your boy I'm like what are you talking about he goes the officer who was shot the other night it's been life flighted to uh, Seattle we're gonna take care of his family they don't have to worry about anything we'll be there for him and they were well anyways the Mike Kralichek story is a huge story if you ever look it up uh, his story is huge he was supposed to die 
His chief of police wrote his funeral speech. The family was supposed to pull the plug on his life support. He wasn't supposed to live. And if he did live, he was supposed to be a vegetable. Well, his story is huge because the fight he had um, and, and had to endure, he wasn't supposed to speak, wasn't supposed to hear. He was supposed to be a complete vegetable. Well, if you meet Mike today, he can talk, he can hear, and, and he walks. He's got a paralysis on half of his body, but he gets up and moves around. And he's a very active person. He's an inspirational speaker today on his survival. But when you feel, when you hear stories about how the FOP um, takes care of officers, not even from their state. Another one happened here in Utah, Wade Palmer, trooper out of uh, Montana, found a uh, vehicle, it was involved in the shooting the night before, uh, calls for a backup officer. Backup officer arrives, f finds uh, Trooper Palmer, um, still seatbelted in his vehicle, and was shot three times with a 223. Well, he was life flighted right here to uh, Utah. Of course, his wife comes down, uh, Christina Waters, the uh, president of the uh, FOP Auxiliary, met with the wife, gave her a backpack with uh, essentials that she needed because she didn't, she just left to be with her husband. The FOP met the uh, officers that were there to be with their uh, their brother in need and they took care of them. They housed them. When the children, I guess there was children here uh, of, of the family, they occupied the children's time. Those kind of things. I, I had a, uh, a great conversation with a uh, trooper named Dan Al when he called me and I called him and it brought tears to both of us that what what he experienced here he said i couldn't believe we're not fop members we're just police officers in montana these guys didn't ask us if we were fop members they did everything for no. us they spent thousands of dollars just for us just because we were, we were in need and uh it's oh it's, it's stories like this it's like it takes sad stories but understand we have a dangerous business we never know we're going to need something like that and when you know there's an organization like the FOP out there, yeah. well, it makes it a more understanding is why should I join the FOP? Well, and, and, and on the Utah side, I wish uh, Jex was here today. He had a big role to play in, in, in helping out that Montana trooper, as did um, our DPS Lodge 32. I mean, they really stepped up. And, and I think it does show the value, the, the fraternal and uh, value of uh, the FOP. We step up, and I got to tell you, I, you know, I, I'm, on, I'm on every executive board discussion going on about the benefits that we do. Um, we always take into account, can we extend this benefit, can we afford to extend this benefit in a purely financial sense to non-FOP members? And, and an example of that is our mental health coverage here. So. Um, we saw our own brothers and sisters dying from suicide, suffering under depression and PTSD, and not going and getting help because they didn't trust the, the, the help that was being offered to them, usually genuinely, but they just didn't trust it from, from their own agency. And so um, we now, you know, starting a couple of years ago, we all, um, we've built the program up to where we can offer it to any officer in the state of Utah that up to four free mental health visits from from people that we've hand selected as saying they know how to work with first responders they know how to work with military and fire and, and, and police um, and we're in discussions now to try to get that to expand that coverage even more because it's been so successful to firefighters and and um, but that's that's that that's the spirit of the organization it's, a, it's an organization built on sacrifice on shared sacrifice and the people that come into its leadership positions are not doing it because it's well paid. Generally, they're they're you know generally at least in the Utah FOP, 
the, your leadership has genuinely sacrificed career prospects to do so, right? Brent Jex is, is retired as an officer. He should have retired as a chief. Bottom line, his, his leadership capability, he's not here to blush, but his leadership capability um, and his caring and, and his knowledge about policing is, is unparalleled. And yet, you know, he, he didn't promote, and not through any fault of his own, through the sacrifice that he knowingly made to lead this organization. So, man, I really appreciate your uh, sort of historical view on this, Brad. It, 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 it always surprises me the stories I don't know about. And I've never met, uh, is it Mike? Mike Kralichek. Mike Kralichek. But I've, I've heard about him from you now, and I, I appreciate that, and I wish him the best. I'd love to get him down here at some point. And, and oh, he'd love to be talk. here. Yeah. Him and his wife, Carrie. So, Danny, how's, uh, how's Nevada going these days in, in terms of, uh, like, officers, concerns, legal challenges, all that kind of thing? Is it a good environment? It, it's a good environment, but it's changing. And I would love to say that... Uh, uh, California is causing us problems, but that probably wouldn't be appropriate. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's it's uh, becoming a little bit more violent yeah. um, from a from a police perspective. Now, keep in mind, I'm not saying that you're going to experience violence if you move to Vegas. You're not, but it's my job to show up when something has gone upside down. And sure. is, uh, it's changed from when I started 22 years ago, and so you know when you were talking about. Officer Wellness, I have a, a friend that was just involved in his second OIS, and he's struggling. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I thank God for the city that I work in because we have a full-time what's called a PEEP officer, right? Uh, which uh, is a, a police PEEP, uh, PEEP. PEEP police uh, employee assistance okay. uh, and so program. And th- this officer is actually from Utah, uh, and he, he was born to do this job. And he looks out for the well-being of officers. And uh, to see my friend who's now struggling, it's a tough thing. And we've all seen it. We've all seen officers oh, yeah. struggle. And uh, he's he's struggling right now with it. And um, But he's he's getting the help. You know, the system is there. He's getting the help. Whereas 20 years ago, it's just like, hey, man, it'd be tough. Yeah. You know, walk it off or something like that. And and the, the, he's going through, like, brain spotting similar to EMDR and, mm. and things like that and uh, getting him getting him back into it because it is a thing. I mean, think about this. I was involved in OIS in 2011, and uh, I had been a cop uh, 13 years up to that point, seen some absolutely horrific things, and we all have. That's a daily thing for law enforcement officers. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't need to be in OIS, but and, and f- to be able to speak with a mental health professional or psychologist, it was kind of refreshing. You know what I mean? Because we all have our ways of dealing with things, uh, some constructively and some destructively. But uh, to to be involved in the profession, profession that we're involved in, to see the absolute inhumanity that can be uh, put on a person, it's it's it can destroy you. You know, and so it, it's good that we have organizations that you don't think you need it. Uh, you know, you think you'll be tough. And people see it a lot faster in you than you'll see in yourself. But it's yeah. it's great that we have organizations out there to take care of people because life isn't getting any easier. Well, and at, you know, ten years ago or even five years ago, the the typical way of handling a buddy who's struggling or been through something is um, to have other people show up and give support um, right. outside. You know, I'm talking outside of sort of psychological professional, and counseling. that's still important. It is, and I was going to say like. You know, in twice in my career, you know, once after a dog bite to the face and once after an OIS, you had 
you know, I, I know I know I was getting calls from people thanks to you and my connection to you, Danny. Um, Scott Skirch comes to mind, right? Yeah, like right. you know, in the in the face of some of something that I hadn't dealt with before, a more senior officer from another part of the country who I had never met with. Now I've had beers with Scott since, right. but at the time, it's a random phone call from somebody who's been through something similar and is 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 here to tell you, like, look, here's what's coming down the the pike, and you're going to be okay. Like and, you know, and that that meant a ton to me at the time. And so I think as an FOP from a leadership perspective. We need to build uh, around those those already supportive environments, and that's what the FOP does, right? It's 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 not just about like, well, we have a policy to do this, or there's there's the the administration is going to do this. This is about like as FOP members, as fellow officers, people who've been there and done that. We know that you you know you're going to need conversation. You need people looking out for you. Here's some professional counseling at the same time. Here's um, some some leadership training in Nashville that we can give you to to make sure that you pass on your experience to the next generation. And so it's it's building that and that organization now is over a hundred years old and and still going strong, still growing. Utah's growing, Idaho's growing. I don't know as much about Nevada, but um, it's a little different state in terms of FOP history. So you know, it, I don't see any end for it, but I do see like we're going to have to continue to. Um, we need to protect that which has served us in the past well and build on to it, not replace it, but su- you know, but support it with new, um, new programming, new supports, etc. Yeah, the, the National has a wellness committee. It's the, it's the largest committee that they have, and it's for this pers- purpose. And uh, Sherry Martin out of Kinetic, she's doing a great job yeah. with that program. I think this is like four episodes in a row that Sherry's name has been mentioned, so we probably ought to just get her on here <laughs> at some point. So I, I tell you, invite her, she'll come. She's I great. You. Yeah, she would I love I had the chance to sit down with her in Nashville uh, last month, so yeah, she's, yeah. she's fantastic. Yeah, and she's a great resource. And, uh, you know, uh, my lodge up in Idaho has something similar to, to you guys have here. Uh, it's to the lodge members that uh, in, in anything they need in, uh, when it comes to wellness, when it comes to stress, if you need to talk to somebody, we'll pay for the first three counseling sessions. Mm-hmm. I, mean, they, I mean, they do that. I mean, uh, there's, there's so much benevolent stuff that the FOP does and they helps its officers. And, and, and we do it because we learn it from the others. Well, what are you doing? This is what, uh, let's do something like that. We learn from each other. You know, it's called networking. You know, there's, uh, you know I lost three friends in one year to suicide, one from my department. And, and you, losing one is too much, you know. And you go through this stuff, and, and and you hear it, you try to understand it, and you just wish maybe somebody would have jumped in right before that happened to to prevent it. And, and we don't get that opportunity again because it's happened, yeah. you know. And and uh, you know we have a lodge, uh, uh, and and the boys here, the Treasure Valley Lodge, the way they, you know, lodges that get organized can form foundations. Once you form a foundation, people, it's easy to get businesses and people donate to you because it's a foundation. It's a tax write-off. And they love to give to the cops. They really do. And, and foundations in big areas can raise a lot of money and they can raise it quick. Well, this lodge, um, you know, they paid for services for a, a police officer up there that a, a child was uh, given life-saving surgery down here in the Salt Lake City area. They paid, basically paid for, you know, uh, room aboard, that kind of thing, and the trip down here. Yeah, uh, this lodge has provided uh, handicap accessibility things for homes, uh, for members and some just uh, employees of police departments and dispatchers. That you know, I remember a dispatcher. I think she lost her foot to diabetes, and she's now in a wheelchair. They, well, you know, they they build the handicap accessibility things for they need in their homes because mm-hmm. those are expensive items. You know, um, um, you know, they give out scholarships. Uh, 
Yeah, I remember it was. It's been over a decade now, but we had an officer who was uh, had to go for some experimental treatment. He had a very aggressive form of cancer. Um, he had to go to Texas. His wife didn't work. Uh, I think she was a stay-at-home mom. And I remember a local company here showed up out of the blue. Like I sort of got a I got a text message from an old friend who I hadn't heard. He's like, and he had heard about it somehow. And he, and, he, and he said, you know, do you know any way we can maybe get a little money to that officer? And I was like, yeah, sure, like, we can do that. And the CEO of that company showed up with no press. They demanded no publicity, and that's why I'm not mentioning their name today because I'll still honor that. But they wanted, they wanted zero publicity or press, but that CEO showed up with a $25,000 check wow. and paid for that, that family to be able to support themselves for six months. Um, while the officer got, and he's alive today and doing well, and it wouldn't wouldn't have happened without that community support. It's an important piece and one that we can do better with here as well. And if, if any of our listeners have questions sort of along the, we've talked about the foundation here before, that's how we support things like the mental health program. Um, but it is important, um, and, and we can always use more help. So, you know, if you've got connections out there in the business world and um, in our community in Utah, we have very high support for police officers, something hovering around 90% um, of people when polled will say, yeah, I, I love I love our local police. So it is something that we need to um, continue to encourage that that relationship. So, well, we're, we're drawing to a close here, Brad. I'm going to give you the same question. That I asked uh, Danny King last time we had him on, and that is, you know, uh, put yourself in the the shoes of a 23-year-old officer just starting out today in Idaho. He's going to face 30, or she will <laughs> face 30, 35, 40 years before before retirement. One piece of advice that you think they ought to be keeping in mind as they uh, enter that adventure. Well, you're entering the uh, greatest profession, I think, that's out there. It's an honor to be a police officer. It's the most fun job you can have, but then at the same time, the politics can kill you. You know, the stress, that the, the things that you will see, you always want to help everybody. You can't solve the world's problems, but, but you can definitely help solve the corner you're in. And one thing, obviously, uh, when we talked about policies earlier, uh, understand your department's policies. Understand what you're expected to do. Uh, you know, go that extra step to helping people. Those are great things. And understand, too, that... Uh, we can get hurt in this job. It's a dangerous job. It, c- it can change today. It could change five minutes from now. You just never know what you're gonna run into. And you need to understand this. Okay, if that happens to me, is my family protected? You need to ask those questions. If, if there's not a policy in place or insurance policy in place for your municipality, is there something you can do for yourself to help make sure if something does happen, is my family protected? Those are important things. And just remember, you will go home and, and, and it's, a, it's a cop's world, and it's different. I can remember my wife, two years into the job, you've changed. What do you mean I've changed? You've changed, you're different. I'm not different, that was two years ago. No, you're different, you change. You, you suspect everybody's a criminal out there. Every time we go out, you look at people differently now. And, and we do. It's like, you don't treat everybody like criminals, but you just have a perception of society because we deal with a low percentage of society, 2%, they call it, 100% of the time. And we see the bad p- part of society that we're expected to take to, uh, to, uh, to fix. Well, anyways, my, my whole thing, my, my point is just make sure you take care of your family. When you do come home, your wife's going to ask you or your husband's going to ask you, how was your day at work? That was fine. Well, what'd you do? Nothing. 
you might have saved a life, you might have saw something really catastrophic. You don't really want to talk about it. Well, open up and talk about it because the best thing you do is is, is to have a partner that's willing to listen and just talk about it. And then uh, understand it's a dangerous job. And uh, But at the same time, it's the greatest job out there. Well, I think that was, I counted 17 pieces of advice and I think you have a lot more. <laughs> and I don't mean that in any way, but but admirably. Um, the reason I brought you on and asked you to talk and you were a little reluctant, but you have a lot to share. Um, you have a lot of ways to go before I think you've paid it all back. This organization has given you a lot. This job has given you a lot. And, and, and every time I see you, uh, you're doing something for officers. And I can't wait to see sort of what the next couple of years of that brings. So uh, to the young officers out there and all our listeners, um, I want to make sure that you know that we see you and we love you and we and we really do spend a lot of time thinking about how to protect you and make the profession a better place we see you and i hope you're hearing us when i say that my name is ian adams i'm with the covered podcast from the utah flp and we'll see you next episode